This Torah class is brought to you by TorahAnytime.com. We're going to do a little uh, experience of how human beings look at God by going uh, in kind of a... It's getting involved, okay? So we have like a person inside the world. <laughs> this is not to scale here. But meaning, meaning in, in reality, our, uh, if this is the expanding universe, so... That would be our galaxy. In there's our solar system. In there's the Earth. Okay? Now, this guy's not to scale. That's you. And you're like, what's out there? What's outside this world? People want to know what's out there. So the first guy says, first guy says, I don't know what's out there. I mean, there's no instrument of measure that measures things outside space and time. So I don't know what's out there. Like, what do you, what do you want from me? So that person says, uh, there's nothing out there. Not because he necessarily believes there's nothing out there. It's just that it's nothing you can ever prove. It's outside space and time. So, so um, by the way, we're not on the regular nothing thing. <laughs> not the nothing I usually teach. We're on, <laughs> meaning he's an atheist. He believes there's nothing there at all. And not that he knows, but because it was never proven, why would he believe in something he never saw? You understand that? But there's a more um, there's a more honest approach, and that's called the agnostic. Agnostic, good. Ag. I don't know the spelling. The what? The agnostic, and that's someone who's not sure there's a God. And that that makes that's a much more intellectually honest position to be in because I don't know if there's something out there. There may be. There may not be. And, and then what you'll find with the agnostic is he generally hedges his bets. I'll show you Pascal's wager. There's a wager that uh, the famous mathematician and theologist, Pascal, he, um, he said that it, the right thing to do is to behave as if there is, yes, a God. And do not behave as if there is not a God. He said, you can't know if there's a God. But how you should behave is as if there is a God. Why? Because he said that after death, I'm going to call that A.D., yeah? After death, you have either you were right, that yes, there is a God, or you were wrong, no, there wasn't a God. Or if you chose this one, if you chose to live and behave as if there's no God, you were either right that there's no God, or you were wrong and there is a God. You know Pascal's range? You guys know this? Martinez. So, so basically, he says, live as if there is a God, because if you're right, you're, you're in good shape. If you're not, so okay, you know, you had a little less fun in your life, but you at least, you know, you enjoyed what you enjoyed, and you're in good shape. If there wasn't a God, you know, hope you didn't make too big a sacrifice. If there was no God and you're right, it doesn't matter because you're squished like a grape. Yeah, you're crushed like an ant. It, it, when you die, it, there's nothing there. If there's no God. You know, you're dead. <laughs> so it didn't matter. But if there is a God and you behave as if there wasn't a God, you're busted. Okay, then now you're bad shit. So he says, live as if there is a God. Well, based on his, based on Pascal's wager. You would think there would be agnostic Jews who are observant. 
this is an interesting. This is the part you'll like. That's how you start to squint. Mm -hmm. that if if this is the part you'll like. Because this Pascal was a Christian. What's it take to be into God? You know, say three Hail Marys in the morning? You know, like, what do you got to do? Show up to church on Sundays? You don't have to do that to be a good Christian. I mean, what's it really take? So, so Judaism, you'll notice, we're all the agnostic, fully observant Jews. Because well, there's so much more than just morality or what you think God wants you to do. There's so much more to that. To what? I'm not good with pronouns. As we say, 55,000 different, you know. Uh, Judaism's requiring, Judaism's requiring a tremendous amount of us. And therefore agnostic. Meaning, what does it mean when you're agnostic? It means there may be God, there may not. So I better hedge my bets to like make sure in case there was a God, that I'm not messed up. Right? Except in Judaism, there's 613 commandments, which break into 55,000 laws. Now, of course, many of them we don't do because it has to do with the temple, or it has to do with this, it has to do with that. Things we're not doing. It has to do with the coding. But you hear it, there's a tremendous amount being asked of every single Jew on daily practice. We don't have, like, a real... You know, we don't have priests, and we don't have rabbis and laymen. There's that according to Judaism, David, you have just as much of a responsibility towards the commandments as I do. There's no difference. You have every obligation, Josh, to know as much Torah as I know, and both of us have as much obligation to know as much Torah as we possibly can know. They're different, though. What each of us, I guess, maybe they're not. I know that my I'm just saying our obligations are the same. No. Okay. That's it. I'm obligated well, to know Torah, you're obligated to know Torah. Oh, you like something? You said Pasco. Pascal was a Christian, right? Right, so I think his, so his original thing was in terms of, like, it's like the same thing, but he was thinking Christianity versus nothing, right, because sure. he was a Christian. So he was like, and I think it's like the little different Christianity because they believe in hell also, so they kind of use that fear into Pascal's wager, because, like, Christianity is much more about you have to do exactly this to get to heaven, or, hell, or else you'll go to hell, and, like, Judaism is just excellent, like, excellent point. Yeah, we would not be. There's no eternal damnation. So I think I think Pascal's wager works a lot better on Christians because it's there's that fear of hell versus that like reward of eternity, what like of heaven. Right. But for us, Judaism, it's just it's you like, blew it, but you're not going to hell. For right. It. They're not going. You're going to yeah. Yeah, it's more so It's not as scary. It's, it's not as scary. Okay. So anyway, but it is a, the subject of hedging bets in Judaism. It's tough enough. Although I do want to mention one thing, that there are people who hedge their bets in Judaism with Shabbat, <laughs> sexuality, and, um, and kashrut. There are a lot of people I know who don't dot their eyes or cross their T's in Judaism, meaning they're ignoring most of the stuff. However, with, when it comes to Shabbat and holidays, they keep them. And when it comes to sexuality, they're chaste, you know, at least to, you know, to, to the big stuff. And as far as kashrut, they're not eating pork or mixing milk and meat. You know, like, they're not eating meat. What? Stuff. Who are these kosher. guys? Yeah, who are these guys? I think, um, who are we talking about? <laughs> Have you figured out I'm the code yet, Mark? Am I a little bit lost? Have you figured out the code? It's, it's, the hy- it's the hypotheticals that... It's the hypotheticals that when we get these amazing comments. What are yes. we talking about? It's amazing comments. <laughs> <laughs> There's no such thing as hypotheticals. So, so have you noticed that? 
It's all the hypotheticals. I love it. Yeah. It's just hysterical. So, okay, so I don't know who these guys are, but they're out there. Uh, <laughs> like people? Yeah, like, oh. they're like people. Oh. No, but you said in Judaism, it's not like hedging your bets. It's like you explained it that every little mitzvah you do is a good thing. So it's right. like, hey, if you only do a few, you always just try to do more. Right, right. So it's not like someone's hedging their bets. Well, no, it's, it's only doing certain things. It's more than It's the thou shalt not where we're hedging. Oh, okay. Yes, the thou shalt not where we're trying not to get too busted. You know. Now... Uh, okay, next. They're messing with us. We're going on. It's okay to be able to I'm going to skip idolaters. I'm just going to jump right to believers. The, the next is the believers. And the believers... Anyone saw the movie Believers? I never heard of it. It was crazy. Anyway, the believers... They... Actually believe there's something out there. And they're pretty serious about their beliefs. I mean, they they like do crazy stuff in honor of this belief. That's the believers. Okay? So believers believe there's something out there. So they believe this world's real and there's something out there. Okay? There's just like meaning one God they believe in. It's some it looks like Krusty the Clown or something. <laughs> God out there. Meaning before there were like multiple gods and then they all realized, you know what, there's only one. And his name is <laughs> These are the believers. <laughs> what it is, I, 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 the people who actually say they know what it is are usually wearing like fancy outfits, and you have to give fifteen percent of your income to their institutions. Oh, the, that would um, be nice. <laughs> so these these are the these are the believers, and then there are the next level. Now these people we call softcore monotheists. Softcore monotheism is the belief in one God. It's what most religions believe. Okay? Uh, religions are generally softcore monotheists. Uh, Judaism, on the other hand, is what's called hardcore monotheists. So, Whoa. <laughs> According to hardcore monotheists, it's going to create a tremendous, awesome paradox, which will suddenly be the key to understand all of Judaism. You ready? Ready for the paradox? Wait, so yes. does that include so Christianity also? No, no, that's part of religion. So just Judaism is the last one. Judaism is a hardcore monotheist. The only other people who believe in it, like we do it, are actually polytheists. Um, they're like Buddhists. Would be. <laughs> like Eastern traditionalists would believe... Would, Generally, tribal indigenous cultures, will, including the Eastern tradition, will believe their their understanding will be much more towards our understanding of monotheism. Whereas, whereas the Western religions, like Christianity and Islam, they're the believers who are what I call sophomore monotheists. They believe in one God, and out there, parasailing, I don't know where he is, and they they believe he's out there, and. Um, one thing that's interesting that you'll see about it is that if you look at the world's religions, the Westerners have the externals of Judaism. Meaning, think about it, Christianity started off right after the destruction of the temple. And what was the temple? Centralized prayer, led by priests in funky outfits with incense and, you know, all kinds of offerings and stuff. Then, Then the temple's destroyed and the Christians say, hey, uh, you know, it was like a couple hundred years later after 
you know, Jesus' life, but they, the apostles came and said, like, hey, let's make a new thing. So, so, but notice it's funky outfitted priests, centralized location of prayer, and uh, incense things, and, you know, it's a whole, it's, it's like, it's like the external of temple Judaism put into the church. Later, 700 years later, there's Islam. Islam is the externals of synagogue Jews. Non-centralized location, no priesthood. You pray wherever you are. I mean, you see Jews praying everywhere. You, know, you, heard, you ever seen a Jew praying? No, we don't have phone booths anymore. In the old days, phone booths. There used to be these booths you'd go in. I don't know if you guys on imagine this. Or... They were like these boxes. <laughs> go inside like box. Superman, like... Yeah. Yeah. Like that, yeah. You used to go into a box. And uh, there's, a, there's a story uh, in, that happened in New York where a Jew's inside the box. He's embarrassed that he has to pray his afternoon service. He saw the sun was set. So he picks up the phone. And he's really just praying. Anyway, the whole time, someone banging on the glass of the box. Like, really disturbing him. When he finally finishes prayers, he opens the door. He's got this little accordion book. He opens the door. <laughs> It's incredible. Our phones are like these little things on us now. Then you had to go into a box to make a phone call. So the, it was a phone repair person. He says, this phone has not worked in three weeks. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you're just chatting away on it. Like, get out of here. You know? oh. <laughs> what is wrong with you? And, and the guy's just like... <laughs> no, matter, no wonder you damaged the service. <laughs> Yeah, it's like messed up the phones in New York because everyone keeps talking into them. So, Why they talk so much in New York? Talk about it. That's good to know. All right, look. The, the, let's, uh, sorry, I forgot the guy. Let's get the guy back in here. We'll give him a shot. Oh. He looks like me on Chavez. Okay. A now, little stick figure guy. <laughs> yeah, so so this guy, he is um, he's what's called a hardcore monotheism. Hardcore monotheism is not the belief in one God. That's these guys. Belief in one God. Hardcore monotheism is the belief that God is one. That is absolutely one. And there's no distinction in that. So let's go with the oneness, okay? So here's God outside of space and time. Now Here's the paradox. God is an infinite being. It's not limited at all by space and time. Now, what's the problem, what's the problem with this picture? Give everyone a chance to think. So don't blurt it out. Like, we'll have raising your hand that way. Everyone gets to think. What is wrong with this picture? If you'd like, I'll give you definitions. Infinite means unlimited by space and time. And finite means limited by space and time. We're inside the planet in this expanding universe. So this is limited by space and time, and this is unlimited by space. What's wrong with the picture? Raise your hands if you got an idea. Anyone else? Come on. What's wrong with the picture? Unlimited best Limit. The stuff should be inside. Uh, 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 okay. Wait till I Don't mess with me. Yeah. Okay. Let's get a show of your hands just to see how many people figured it out. Figure what out. <laughs> What's wrong with the picture? Unlim- yeah. These squiggly lines are unlimited by space and time, meaning if I had enough ink, I would have to go forever. 
This inner circle represents limited light space in the finite world. Do you see the paradox? Did you see there's something wrong with this? Maybe I'll just, I already know some of you have the answer, but where do the squiggly lines also have to be if we want to stay in a strict definition? Uh, okay. Where do the squiggly lines have to be? Inside the circle. They have to be inside the circle. Now this gets psyched up, okay? So take your protein pills and put your helmets on. Here it goes, ready? What if you don't have oh, to take Oh, if anyone has Facebook pills. here, please, uh, please click on the screen and hit share. It's on Rabbi Yom Tov, not last name, just Rabbi. So go on Facebook and hit share. It gets much more views. That also, like, that gets a lot of views. Okay, here we go. You ready? Ready to fill in the circle? Y'all ready? signal to you. I had to do it on a microphone. It was a giant hall. I couldn't see the guy. He was in the, some oh. back area. But he was listening on the microphone. And, and I said, when I say these words, you know, and uh, you're to dim the lights. I taught the last 45 minutes of class in the pitch black. Mm. The man was sitting with 750 people in my pitch black. Anyway, move on to the circle. And now you see what hardcore monotheism is all about. Is there is no circle? I'm not ignoring you. You don't exist. Just kidding. Uh, that's <laughs> my more advanced Kabbalah students had that joke. I'm not ignoring you. You don't exist. So it's a bad joke. Thank you. <laughs> oh, is this all like to start uh, uh, Kabbalism? This class is called Kabbalah. Okay. Yeah. Now let's look at Judaism at this point. Do you want me to bring the circle back? By the way. Watch this. Now I'll show you. Now I'll show you how we really look at things. Because I'm going to bring the circle back. Okay, there's your circle. Wow, it's like magic. <laughs> oh my gosh, the wires. Oh, it's amazing. Oh, he appeared again. <laughs> He's back. Resurrection. Resurrection. Hi, little guy. Where's the pace? Hello. Yeah. This pace is definitely part of the. <laughs> That's why we have pairs. 
Okay, now you have the key to understanding all of Judaism. Let me give you a couple of examples. For example, when we talk about the oneness of God, not just one God, which is a nice name a lot, but when we talk about the oneness of God, what do I do with my right hand when I talk about the oneness of God? I cover my eyes because, you know, when you close your eyes regularly, you still see the light, you see like red or whatever. When you cover it totally, I mean, you see all kinds of cool colors too, but, but, it, but it's really much darker when you actually cover your eyes. You get to that oneness. When we say Shema, we actually take our four-corner garment, we wear this four-corner garment representing the four um, directions, and we actually take all four corners and we unite them unite them on our webbing, on the webbing of the fingers. Why on the webbing? Because when you really get that all there is is God. Shalom, welcome, nice lady. There's plenty of seats. When you, when you, when you unite the four corners of the sitsis, and you realize the oneness of God, you can easily start ignoring your body, like, you know, like, like Buddhists do on the mountaintops, like celibacy and fasting. You know, they ignore the body. So we put our tzitzis on the webbing because the webbing is a sensitive membrane, the webbing of your skin. It's much like uh, a horse rider. You know, when a, someone rides a horse, they put the reins in the webbings of your hands. You don't hold the reins with your full fist because it's on the lips of the horse. You want to be sensitive. Animal that's carrying, it. and so you wear, you ride it. So you have like it's almost like your own lips here, that, so that you're sensing the horse's lips. So you hold the reins there, and so too the sitsis are there because you can get so into monotheism, like hardcore monotheism, that you can like drop out. And I know plenty of people who did, who did drop out. Like, what do you mean by dropped out? They just dropped out. Whatever it is they were meant to contribute to the world, they're so busy in the oneness of God that they, it's like their their life and their contribution in this life is not getting done. Because they're just totally, they're pure spirituality, which is wonderful, but it's not Jewish. Jewish is spiritual, spirit and ritual. You're supposed to be involved in the physical world. Busy with physicality. Your whole life can't be. Easterners are not spiritual people, they're spiritual. Westerners are ritual people, they're not very spiritual. They're very ritual. Judaism is spiritual. It's lots of deep spirit, a ton of ritual. More ritual than you could ever know. But but when you infuse ritual with spirit, they're spiritual. Okay, guys, uh, everyone on high tech out there should put it away. Okay? Get rid of your tech for now. Um, just get rid of it. Check the tune out. You're off the grid. Get off the grid. Especially at this point in the class. Like, this is where you want to tune in. <coughs> now, the, so, so Shema, we've taken the four corners, we've united it in the left hand. Uh, Mark, you have to watch the video for, or you know what, ask Jeff, right? Jeff. Yeah. You have to ask Jeff why it's on the webbing. Were you able to hear no, he was. Of your pinky. We lost him. On the way. <laughs> lost him. You guys heard? Or you were That's right? Josh. You got it, right? About the animal? Being sensitive to the animal. Just don't care about your body. 
Yeah, you can get so into monotheism that you can forget about the body all together. Right. So you put it on the webbing like a horse. When you ride a horse, you put the reins on the webbing uh, to be sensitive to the horse. Right. So you got to be sensitive to the body. We're not monks in the Himalayas. <laughs> we're Jews in the we're Jews in the physical world. Well, and <laughs> silly, right? Yeah. Why is it the webbing of your finger? It's just a sensitive place to put the sensitive. Because the sits is also, we're uniting the four corners, so maybe you'll just stop visiting the four corners. Maybe you'll just cut out of physicality altogether. So you got to stay in this world, which is the word spiritual, spirit with rituals, rituals, physical, spirits. I guess we scared them away. <laughs> That's okay. Okay, now, let's look at the other thing. That was the mitzvah saying Shema twice a day. Right? How about Shabbat? What are we really commanded on Shabbat? We're commanded to refrain from 39 ways that we assert ourselves on the natural world. There are 39 types of manipulation of physicality. Of the circle, meaning the circle represents physicality. Our job is to kind of work the physicality. That's a longer subject we're not going to get into. But come Shabbat, you take your hands out of those 39 principal ways of manipulating matter in the physical world. And, and you know, I'm, I'm giving you a much more light version of it just because we're going through examples of the commandments. Obviously, Shabbat, I could go deeper than this. The um, uh, bris milah, the circumcision, the covenant with God on the most sensitive part of a man's body, is sexuality. And that's the sexuality is the epicenter of the circle. It's like the most selfish part, it's the part where like people do the stupidest stuff. You know, that's where people can destroy their own lives, the lives of others, family lives. You know, it's, it's, and that's where the covenant with God is. Next is it's a natural body. Part of the circle is nature. The natural body. And you're cutting with the natural body. On which day? On the eighth day. Because seven is always, nature always works in sevens. Whether it's the moon, the weeks, the, the menstrual cycle, the, the uh, you know, the colors of the rainbow are seven. Notes of the scale, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven. It's it's everything's sevens in the physical world. And the and the um, the circle is all about sevens. Eight represents supernatural, which is kind of cool because infinity is like an eighth shape. And uh, and that's when we do that Hanukkah is on the eighth day, which is beyond the seven, beyond the circle. The um, circle the sevens are how cycles work. The, um, I mean, you just go mitzvah by mitzvah. Yom Kippur is, that is monk day. That is monk day. Where, where <laughs> <laughs> so, Why do you say that? Um, because we are fasting, we are celibate, we are, we're not, you know, we're totally pulling. On Yom Kippur, you pull out of the circle, totally comes along Purim where it has to be on a weekday. It's got to be in circle day. It's not, an, not, not a hot, uh, like a outside. It's got to be on a weekday. And what do you do? You drink alcohol and blur the circle. You actually blur the circle. There's some people who are like, they want to like also add getting stoned or they want to add some psychedelics on Purim. I always tell them that's not the mitzvah. Because sometimes that gives you more clarity. The whole point of the day is to totally lose clarity and get get to the oneness. 
because alcohol blurs your ability to navigate via physical, the circle via the physical world. It's mitzvah after mitzvah. It's every single mitzvah. Okay, Passover is all about leaving the way that people wind up enslaved. Our servitude is all just our relationship to the ego, which is circle-based, meaning your desire to be someone who's significant or whatever it is you're after, the, uh, that's just totally wrapped up in the circle because the ego's afraid to be nobody and so it's got to be somebody who can recognize you, and et cetera, et cetera. That's all circle stuff. And whereas someone who realizes this is going to be out of that chaos. Look at this in my haircut. My haircut is the inverse of, of many uh, very, uh, what's the right word for it? Might makes right societies. Um, aggressive. I have the inverse haircut of many aggressive societies. Okay, the Nazis shaved this area and kept hair here. The um, it's the Mohawk Indians of America were hardcore warrior Indians. The Yamana Indians of the Amazon are hardcore warriors. They have the mushroom head. You know, they shaved the whole thing around, which is a separate prohibition in itself. Not for them, but for us. You're never allowed to shave around. You know that like haircut that kids think they're cool with, with the shaving on the side and leaving <laughs>
the causer is the screw that's causing the table to be locked onto the frame. The frame is the is the receiver of that screw. It's the, every single thing. The bookshelves are being held by that. The struts holding up our floor. The windows are are causal into the frames of the windows. There's the handles. There's nothing you can look at that is not either causer or holder of the cause. Okay, the door in the frame. The, the hinges on these heavy doors are male and female. Everything's causer and receiver. Everything's masculine in the whole creation. And vegetation's all masculine. There's male and female plants. Animals are all male and female. Humans are all male and female. This is the nature of the creation. Everything's either male or female. And everything's being held together by this. But every, you can't look at anything. In fact, you won't see it, which may make you crazy if you're OCD and you'll wind up in like SA. But the, the point is that everything's male and female. And this is female, and the outside's male, only because the outside's causing the inside. Like we're not causing ourselves into existence. We are being beamed into existence. This is a holographic projection that's coming into existence. So that is, the causal is the masculine. The existence is the feminine. And whenever you, ready for this, whenever you are involved in a mitzvah, no matter what that mitzvah is, it could be just shaking a lulav in an estrogen, like cosmic vegetation that you're shaking around in Sukkot. You're taking from the feminine and you are making a blessing on it and you're raising it to the masculine, so to speak, meaning to the causer. You're raising the physical to the causer. Think about tefillin. It's an animal. We're taking the animal and we're raising the animal, the feminine, to the masculine, meaning the causer. It's all male-female union. Everything in the creation is male-female union, and we were only put here to raise the feminine to the to the masculine. That's why Kabbalah Shabbat, you know, Lechadoidi is all about. It's about lovers. It's about the the causer, which is in the masculine, and the, and us leaving the thirty-nine prohibited acts of manipulation, and the bride is rising up to the groom to unite to one union. This is all of Judaism. That's all we do. Is that. And uh, I don't want to go into great detail in this class, but regarding the union of husband and wife at the climatic moment of union, mm-hmm. you know, part of that experience, uh, it is suggested by the Kabbalists that one turn off all the lights. And it should be pitch black because according, because according to Judaism, According to Judaism, ultimately, everyone's God. So who are you actually being intimate with? It's, it's pitch black at that point. So you're really being intimate with God at that point. And that's, that's why the relation between husband and wife is the holy of holies. That's why you see husbands and wives in the Jewish world, they never do public displays of affection. Because there's, this is the holy of holies. So touching this is reserved very, very specifically for their intimate life together, meaning private life and not all the way into serious intimacy. And that's, uh, that's all part of this whole thing. I mean, hardcore monotheism is extremely spiritual. Extremely. Now, you can miss it, because every mitzvah has an external world. You could just see a guy in tefillin, and he could be in tefillin and miss it. You know, couples can be married for 50 years and miss it. The, uh, you understand, you can miss all this because if you don't understand what it's all about in the first place, hence, 
you know, boom, 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 boom. If you don't understand what it is all about in the first place, you could just go through your life keeping everything in Judaism and totally missing what you were doing here. But that's what we're here for. We're here to unite the feminine with the, with the masculine to, to create a union of the, that which surrounds space and time and that which fills space. And in fact, every single blessing in Judaism, you look, every blessing, the outer part is called Yud and He and Vav and He, which is a makeup of the words um, was, is, and will be. Haya, Hove, Okay, Was, is, will be. Meaning, outside space and time. But then we have another name of God, which is, there's another name of God, which is Elohim, which we say Elokeinu, Elohim, and notice the plural at the end. What's the name of God, Elohim? See, what's Yud and Mim at the end of the word? Yelad, Yeladim, Kadur, Kadurim. What's it mean? Plural. Plural. It's the plural form. Woo, woo, woo. Like, Jews have a plural form of God. Like, how could that be? We're the, we're, we're, we taught monotheism in the world. But every single blessing you make has, has a, a masculine form of God, so to speak. The the beyond space and time causer was, is, and will be. And you have a, and then you have the feminine. Wait, is it will be or will be? That's just for fun. I was teaching a class to like like a hundred Persians in L.A., and at one point, my brother, Sam, who's the biggest prankster ever, he sneaks into the class. I didn't even see him there. He snuck in like, I don't know how he got in there, but somehow it's like 100 versions and my brother, Sam. So so then what happened was I got to was, is, and will be. And I'm talking about God was, is, and will be. So my brother, he raises his hand, so I call him this guy in the back of the class. My brother, I realize it's him. He stands up, I'm like, oh, this is going to be bad. And he says, and he, in a Persian accent, he's like, Rabbi, I understand how God was. I understand how God is. But tell me, who is this Willie? <laughs> the whole class just turns around and looks at him. He actually held his Persian. Who is this Willie? The whole class just turns around and looks at this guy. He's six foot three. Is he really I, Persian? I'm, he's not Persian at all. And, and they all look at him. And they're all like, they're all like, <laughs> what? And I and I was I was like, ladies and gentlemen, that's my brother Sam. <laughs> I, was, I mean, I'm never in LA, but I was teaching this class a hundred yards from his house, so like he decided to sneak in there. Who is this movie? So I noticed whenever I write this out, I always write Willoughby ever since. So, whereas Elohim is represents God, God in nature. God in nature. That's Elohim. So you'll notice every blessing, Baruch, Atah, Hashem, Elohimu. Yeah, why do you have two names of God anyway in a blessing? Like, what was wrong with just saying, you know, here's to our God, or whatever. Why is it Baruch, Atah, Hashem, Elohim? Why is it always got to mention the God in nature? Because God's not only surrounding, he's filling He's not just a totia. Okay? He is the lesson. He is the creation. 
Not as a burrito. Okay? <laughs> he's surrounding. He's spending nice filling it. Think of Shema Yisrael. Shema Yisrael. You guys ever thought about these letters? Look how cool these letters are. The Shin is um, has the highest frequency. They've checked this in studios. You know, you have to go see all those different sounds the mouth makes. But the Shin and the Sin have the highest frequency. Shh has the highest frequency. Okay, and that is uh, and that in the elements is carbon. And then uh, Ma, the Mem is uh, the most monotonistic of all sound, and that represents uh, hydrogen. So the word Shema and the ion of Shema. The ayin, shema, ayin represents, how do you, what's ayin mean in Hebrew? Okay, it's the eye. I don't know how to make an eye. Okay. Because the word eye means to look deeply into something. So the word for looking deep, 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 deep in Hebrew is le'ayin, or iyun is to go deep. So what is the Shema? It's the same as the Zitzis. Shh is the four corners. Mm, it's unifying the four corners. Unifying the four corners. Ayan is to look deep inside. Like what, what is going on here? Like is this place separate or is it one with? And it's the paradox of infinite and finite. Is that it's really all one. See, someone's making something up. Either God's making us up, he's projecting us, the masculine's projecting us holographically. So that's either he's making us up, or we're making him up. But someone's making something up, because we both can't be absolutely true. You get that? If God's absolutely oneness, so then he's making us up, he's projecting us into the oneness somehow. Or we're real, and we're, that's what they, they believe we're real. And so they just narrowed down the, the multiple gods down to one in frame. And we're saying no. Hardcore monotheism is that is that it's all totally part of God. Everything's of God. And and yet so then how do we exist? And the answer is we don't. We only exist in some vibrational reality, which according to quantum physicists makes sense. That this is all made of, you know, primarily it's just moving vibrational energy. You know, I was once playing a concert. I wasn't playing a concert, sorry. I was listening to a, a Grateful Dead style jam band in university. And I was sitting out in the courtyard uh, behind their house, uh, just hanging with a friend, and uh, listening to music from the, these screens. Like that, meaning the windows were screened, but they were open. They had music blasting. And it was great. Just hang in there instead of having to be with a whole crowd of people, just two of us listening to them practice. And what happens? Two hummingbirds came down, and were outside the screens of the windows, and they were cruising exactly in the sine waves of the music. It was the coolest thing. They were moving exactly in the sine waves. Now, when the songs changed tempo, they went with it. They were going like with the music when it got faster and faster. It was very cool, and they stayed for a really, really long. And uh, I'd love to know what they're exactly how the juice of flowers can keep something moving that fast for that long. Because uh, just even flies, I would know. 
how can I keep that thing going? For some, what is fueling those things? And uh, anyway, I gotta go watch National Geographic. When the music stopped, they took off. But we're all we're all like we like grooving the vibrational energy. It's all about that. You know, you, I'm sure most of you have been at concerts where you're with tens of thousands of people grooving vibrationally, like to the same exact groove. And it's there's nothing like that. No, we can't in Israel. I always go back to we can't produce something that a bunch of crackheads can produce. <laughs> we can't produce for you. Here we've got like we actually got the goods, but we can't produce the experience. Hotel Friday nights, you know, really cute and sweet, you know. It's great to be at the hotel and dance, and not super high. And it's holy. Those Rabbi Nachman dudes are always there. But the but the vibrational energy that someone can experience, the vibrational energy that someone can experience at a rock concert, is way beyond that. But it's enough for us to know that that comes and goes. It's a big high, and then it drops you down back to your, you know, you still have to pay your bills after the concert. You know, it's not like you're suddenly in this rapture forever. It ends. And in fact, even while it's going on, you're kind of wondering, <laughs> but you're thinking like, well, this is awesome, but uh, I'm going to have to be at work tomorrow. So, or this is going to wear off later. You know, when it finally goes away. So the, we're, we're kind of living it differently. We get that everything's vibrational. We're connecting to it, how we connect to it. and But at the end of our lives, we know that since this is all happening vibrationally, it must be coming from somewhere. So it must be that when your brain goes away, which is what's in the way of you seeing the actual vibrations, that you actually go to the actual vibrations. Like right now, your brain is computing by your senses. You know, all the nerves are sending it to the neurons, and the neurons are reporting it to you. And you're... And so you're like, you're aware of it, but once your brain's out of the way, you're in the vibrational energy itself. How cool is that going to be? That sounds really cool to me. It's kind of like a moth to a light bulb. You ever seen a moth, like, in love with a light bulb? You guys ever seen that? Moths sometimes are really into light bulbs. So the moth's into light bulb. Now you say to the moth, hey, Mr. Moth, you know that this light bulb's on a dimmer, and you're only on about 20%. Moss like, no. <laughs> We're on 20 right now. Um, it, I mean, you seem to really like this light, light bulb, even though I think this is getting dangerous, but uh, you want me to turn it up? You know, what would the average moth say? No, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> what would the average moth say at that point? If I, if I offered to turn it up, what would he say? You'd say go for it. No, I say no. Oh. I mean, what do you want? Like, you want like ten percent more, or you want me to go all the way? Which would which would the moth want? Oh. Yeah, the moth would be like blasted, man. <laughs> <laughs> and I'd say to the moth, like this this isn't going to work out so well. In the end. And the moth would be like, we're not going to worry about the end. Let's just blast it. So, so the so I think it's kind of exciting to know this world's vibrational. Just on a physical, like the world's made of vibrational frequency, and it's super cool to know that for me because then I'm not so attached to this world because those vibrations have to be coming from somewhere. And so I know that the, who my neurons report to won't die. 
because that's my point of reference that it has nothing to do with neurons. I even touch here. Why am I touching here? There's no neurons there. Like my neurons are. Well, you ask anyone to point to themselves, they all go like this. Because maybe you're, you're not, you're your neurons. Maybe you should go like that. The, I know I will outlive those neurons that are sensing this world's frequencies. So, like, I personally think death is exciting. Not that I want to die any time earlier than my time. I want to live as long as possible. I want to watch my kids grow up. I want to dance at their weddings. Bounce my grandkids on my knees, even today. It's gone. And the, uh, I mean, I'm not against this life. I like it. But death is the last thing I'm afraid of. I think it's, uh, I think it's possibilities are incredible. Uh, So little of the real, like, aperture of the vibrational energy is visible to us right now because our brain is obscuring the experience. Now, that's a good thing, because if your brain wasn't obscuring the experience, you'd have a hell of a hard time brushing your teeth. You'd be brushing your forehead. You know, you you wouldn't even know where to put the thing. (laughs) So, so it's not a bad thing that you can't see the actual full vibration reality. That's a good thing. But once you know everything's made of this kind of vibrational intelligence, so of course you want to live as long as you can doing the physical. I once found my child. Hey, Rabbi. Are you tour time? Yeah. Oh, amazing. Okay. I'll wrap it up. So, guys, just to wrap up, last thing is I found my son once. Because I raise my kids very Kabbalistically. Um, I teach them everything you're learning right now. I teach them in their bedtime stories from three years old, even under, like from birth. I teach them this. Once upon a time. Once upon a time, there was nothing. And then vibration energy. And the. Anyway, so I once found my kid, my oldest son, I found him jumping out of bed when he was about six years old. And he was jumping out of bed. Every time he went up in the air, he would yell, take me. And then he'd come back down here. And I'd jump, take me. And he'd go, take me. So I went into the six-year-old kid, and I said, what's going on in here? He says, I want to show you something. Why? What's so bad? He said, nothing so bad. Said, well, why are you going to take it? I, said, well, I just want to see it all. You know, like, I don't want to just be stuck down here. Let's see the real stuff. And I said, I said, to him, whoa, you don't want to go now. And he's like, why not? I said, because you were put here for a reason. You're actually supposed to be in these hands. And you're not in barbets, though, which means you'd show up with empty, you'd show up totally empty-handed, so you wouldn't even have the goggles that see the vibrations. Because <laughs> every mitzvah you do connects you greater to the vibrational energy. Remember, let's go back again. Everything we're doing in our Judaism is vibrational mating of male to female. It's a full vibrational union that we're doing. It creates the actual, you know, you ever been to a 3D movie and didn't bring goggles? The 3D glasses, you're not going to experience it. So every mitzvah we do is causing our way to see it. So, because how you live in this, you sleep in the bed you make. How you live in this world is what you're going to you know, like people who live full body are going to have body. And then when they die, it's a real death. And people who live in the vibrational reality, and they may be physicists and they may be Kabbalists. They may be physicists who don't even believe in God. I believe they'll have a tremendous experience after they die. Because, uh, because 
and they understand something very, very special, which I've been teaching you this whole time, uh, which is all I teach, really. And that's the, uh, and that is that, that we're really living in a vibrational substrate that is being beamed from a much higher energy source. The only thing obscuring it is our mind, which is good, because you want to be brushing your foreheads, you know? And the, but you're here to actually do these mitzvahs to cause a union to ultimately experience this as you, those will be your lenses to, to view the, the, the vibrational energy when your body is done with its hosting of the soul. Philosophical discussion of why did God do that in the first place? I think, was he bored? You know, anyway, we're going up to the, the vibrational energy. Why did he bring us down here? So the, the answer to that is that that God is wants everyone to have the highest vision as as possible of the vibrational reality, like the highest kind of interface to it. But to give you a higher one requires you first to hack into the body. You got to be embodied and do the mitzvahs, or whatever mitzvahs you can get your hands on to be able to experience it higher. Um, the good news is, is none of the vibrational energy ex, um, is evil. There's no evil in the vibrational energy. Um, there's a, to get to the vibration energy, you have to, your soul has to travel through vibrational level after level after level after level after level after level, level, level until you get to a thing called um, whatever it's, I'm not going to go into that, but until you finally get to the experience of the vibrations. Oh. Some of those levels are pretty rough because they're made of the things you did that were against the um, spiritual consonants. Meaning, uh, meaning things we do wrong wind up being, a, it becomes this like substrate or section of, of in the spirit world that you got your soul has to get through somehow. It ain't easy to get through if you spent your life doing the wrong things. You know, you want to definitely like, the good part of that is, is whatever you did wrong is going to stay there. It's not like Christianity where you're going to hell forever. It's, it's, you've got to get through it. It's made of your own stuff, though. It's very organic because it's yourself. It's not like there's going to be anything foreign there. It'll just be whatever you did. You know, we'll be waiting for you there. And, uh, and, the, and the scariest part about it is that it's the people we harm that are going to make it Meaning you might think it's eating pork. You might think it's stealing. You, might, you know, like stealing an apple and eating without a blessing. You think that's the rough stuff. The rough stuff's actually all these interpersonal, all these interpersonal kind of carbon footprint, like all the problems we make in our relationships. And that's why you got to go so clean with the way you relate to people. You have to treat every girl you ever meet, guys, as if you're staring at her father. But some guy, and if you do what you're having in mind, some man's losing sleep over this, and also some guy's going to marry her and have have you in the way, so to speak. The uh, every girl has to have this in mind with, with every every guy. Meaning, we all have to be like super sensitive with how we're dealing with, with other human beings. That's the most. Well, that's when you'll notice such a giant chunk of Torah is just how we deal with each other. A massive chunk. And that if I could show you a Talmud, I would be able to point on the shelf how much it would be just between man and his fellow. It's like a massive amount, like almost half of all Jewish law. 
just how we deal with each other. Because we are these very spiritual beings, and when someone gets hurt, let's say, God forbid, a girl in this room had her heart broken. <coughs> what it does is it dulls her experience of being inside of this magical thing because of the heartbreak. Like everything gets different, everything gets weird. She, she's out of it, searching for an impossible relationship now because this damage is done. You know, she, you know when you get hurt in the heart, you always say, I'll never love again. It doesn't matter if you're married. I mean, you've got the biggest diamond ring in the world. You'll never love again. Like, like you allowed that idiot to take you on a ride for, for an hour or a month or half a year. Yeah. You never recover from those things. And so, and so it's, um, it's of utmost importance that the people we treat public, you've got to treat every person with incredible sense. And be so delicate with Don't want to hurt people in this way. That's and it's so scary because like I'm very involved, a lot of people. So people could get hurt very easily. You know, if someone needs me a lot, and like they keep emailing me, but I keep looking at WhatsApp, not an email, and then they gave up, so their email got avalanched by the end of the day. So when I checked, <laughs> when I checked email, there were 40 emails above it. And I missed it. I just missed it. You know, I was going to bed, it was three in the morning, and I would like flip through the emails just to make sure there's nothing important. And it just got lost into forty other ones. And then that person just goes into like full tail spin because I was for access. And now, you know, his access or whatever. Scary. Scary. So we all need to be walking around afraid of people. You want to be afraid of something in this world? Be afraid of her. I'd rather you much more be afraid of hurting people than uh, any other fear. The rest of the fears I would throw in the garbage. But hurting, maybe fear of God a little bit because you, know, you want to be reverent. But mostly be afraid of people. Don't hurt anyone. You've just experienced another Torah class brought to you by TorahAnytime.com.